ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. It's a place I've worked at for, I think, almost the last decade now. Uh, they work with the Shipibo lineage of working with plant medicine, and they run 12-day ceremonies, six ceremony, or 12-day workshops working with six ceremonies, uh, four different doctors, healers, curanderos, uh, two to three facilitators, a pre-ceremony yoga teacher, bone doctors, massage people, herbalists, and it's a really amazing support staff. And they do a really good job, uh, a really amazing job, really, of creating a space that allows people to come down and experience really life-transforming experiences. Uh, uh, you know, people come down for a variety of reasons, whether it's a sense of life's purpose, trying to heal trauma, um, healing specific physical ailments, and it's, uh, it's really just an amazing experience. And having worked with probably a few thousand people now, I've, I've had the opportunity to, to really see just profound uh, transformation. So if anyone is interested in working with ayahuasca, if you've never worked with ayahuasca before, it's a really amazing place to come down and to begin that process. And if you have worked with ayahuasca, it's also an amazing place to come and, and really experience it on a, on a deep and profound level. So uh, the temple has been closed due to the pandemic since March of 2020, but they're scheduled to reopen in June of 2021. So if you'd like more information about the temple and the work they do, check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org. Also, myself and my colleague, Marab Artsy, who I interviewed, I believe, in episode 28, will be running diets. Uh, probably when this one comes out, uh, the first one will al already be underway, um, but we'll be doing it the entire month of March and then also May and June. Um, we may have another one towards the end of the year, but with scheduling and everything that's going on. We haven't made a specific date for that yet. Uh, but that's a really amazing opportunity to come down and to, to diet, which is the traditional way in which people learned experientially from these plants. Um, we work in the tradition we were trained in, which is working with tobacco and trees, uh, doing relatively shorter diets, but uh, quite intense. Uh, these, these plants tend to be a very strong medicine, but kind of with that intensity, there's often the equal and opposite uh, benefits that come from that. So that's a really amazing opportunity. If you'd like more information on that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org and Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. My guest today is Beth Weinstein, and uh, she's a really interesting lady. Uh, she has a lot of experience working with plants. She's done uh, ceremonies, um, done dietas, and she really found her calling, which was to begin to integrate people's experiences into their calling, and, and especially into finding work, uh, creating a, a life, and in, in this idea of entrepreneurship, um, working on these things like empowerment, self-responsibility, uh, working with regenerative practices, sustainability, and, and really bringing a lot of what this work can teach into manifestation and, and really helping to transform our lives. So it was a really interesting conversation. I learned a lot. I, I, we, we touched on some really good points, and I think you guys will get a lot out of this conversation. So as always, uh, if you're able to help to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me um, so that I can continue to, 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 to bring this uh, work out there, the messages out there to bring these people who I find really fascinating 
fascinating and give them voice. Patreon is a really good option. Um, through that site, you can uh, subscribe and donate even just a, a few dollars a month. Um, and it gives you some really nice added benefits, things like early access to shows, Q&As, bonus material, extended footage. Um, so that's a really big help to me. And that's a, a really big help to support this show. Um, to all of the people who have done that, thank you very much. Uh, there's also the option of donating directly via PayPal. There's a link in the show notes. To all the people who've done that, thank you very much. And if you're able to do that, that's greatly appreciated. Um, if you're not able to do that, uh, simply going on the YouTube page and subscribing to the show is a really big help, turning on the notification bell, liking the videos, um, and also feel free to leave any comments. Uh, that also really helps. And if you have any ideas or, or things like that, feel free to leave a comment. And then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, subscribing to the show, and if you can leave a starred rating and a short review, that's also a really big help. So I think that's it. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Beth. Welcome. Um, so maybe we can start. I mean, you probably got this question a lot, but I would imagine most of the audience isn't isn't familiar with you or your background. Probably some are, because I know you did a big plant medicine conference recently. So maybe people are familiar with you. But maybe just to start, if you can give us a little bit about your your background, who you are. You've got a Shipibo Atela in the background. So kind of how you got interested and in, in kind of on this path. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. So I'm Beth Weinstein. I'm a spiritual business coach. I help current and aspiring entrepreneurs start and grow their business and do work that they love. I tend to help a lot of people on the medicine path with their, what I call, you know, psychedelic business, psychedelic integration coaches, people who are bringing psychedelic work into their coaching and healing, um, transfer transformational businesses. So, um, you know, my path so I'm a three-time entrepreneur. This is now my third business. Um, before that, I was in tech startups. And before that, I was in corporate. And, you know, essentially, um, my long story short, so when I was um, when I was very, very young, like probably around age seven, eight, you know, I used to play a game with my best friend called City, where we owned businesses and we were these like jet-setting women that you know, made our own money and got to travel all over the world. And that was kind of the game that I played as a kid envisioning what kind of life I would have. I always knew I was out to work for myself, um, but I was also raised in a very traditional American family that was like, you just go to college and you get a job and you suck it up and then you die. And that's how I was raised. And when I was pretty young, I knew I was here to be an entrepreneur. Of course, I didn't know what that meant and I didn't know what it would look like, but I could feel it in my heart at a pretty young age. And I was also on a pretty deep spiritual path from a very young age. I, I assume it's because I'm a Sagittarius with a, a Leo moon. I have no idea. But, um, you know, I ended up uh, giving, taking my first 
psychedelic at the age of uh, 14. So I grew up in California in the Bay Area. I always blame California and, you know, I was outside of San Francisco and things were very readily available back then. Um, I'd also started going to like youth dance clubs at a very young age and, you know, getting into the drugs very early and, and the rave scene and all that, that kind of party scene throughout my teens and 20s and college and then beyond that. And, but here's the thing. I was also an athlete. I was always very active, like to, to move my body. And when I graduated college and moved to New York city, I made the, you know, I, I did the traditional path of like, you go to college, you get a job and you suck it up because I knew what I wanted to do. And it was work for myself. I didn't know what it was. So, but in the meantime, you know, I did the safe thing, which is like, just survive. Right. Especially in your early twenties, it was like, just make money. I wanted to live in the city expensive city. So I went through that path and of course hated every moment of it <laughs> pretty much. You know, it was a great learning experience, but I always knew I was here to work for myself. I always knew that I was going to have my own business. And, um, you know, I, I kind of just held that as a prayer and, but also through all this, I was still in the, the kind of, um, party lifestyle and dancing and kind of the festival lifestyle, but I was also, uh, very active. Um, I, I took up running. So I had always been active with sports as a kid. And the one thing when I was in my twenties living in New York city, you know, the lifestyle was all about drinking alcohol and there's only so much alcohol one can drink. So I was like, I need a, I need a healthier outlet that also feels good. So I took up running and got really entrenched in the running community because the one thing I noticed while running was that it felt very similar to the same feeling I would get while doing ecstasy and dancing at a rave. It was like the same euphoria, the same connection with other people, the same kind of community feeling. And so I started going really deep into this, this running thing, which was a much healthier choice than just partying all the time. And, you know, through a series of, of life events, as the universe always does, um, you know, I started noticing, like, I started really wondering what was this feeling I was having. And, you know, I'd studied psychology in college and I was originally on a path to become a therapist. Um, but I started noticing where my mind went when I ran and why it reminded me so much of like the feeling of being on ecstasy dancing when I was younger. And so I really started exploring the mind on a deeper level and quantum physics and meditation. And, you know, of course I was still like, occasionally doing drugs in a recreational way. But I remember there was this point where I, I took psilocybin on a hike with some friends. And, in, you know, of course we all thought it was recreational, right? But it was the first time, and it must've been in my, I don't know, late twenties or something. It was one of the first times where I really noticed a shift in the medicine, meaning like it started showing me different things, or I started feeling the connection in nature in a different way. And really seeing things differently. And I was like, well, wait, what is this all about? And so this whole path of wondering and inquiry and experiencing and just, you know, like feeling into it all really took me um, onto a deeper path. And then of course, a series of events, I, it was like one thing after another, I was in New York city during 9-11. That was very like traumatic. Um, my father died pretty suddenly, right before the economic downturn of 2008, 2009. So there were all these things. And then a few years later, I got this, this crazy mystery illness that no doctors could figure out. Um, I went to my first burning man, you know, that was a pretty intense, deep spiritual experience. I had taken, um, 
<laughs> to this day, I'm like, I don't even really know what it was. I took a, a research chem type psychedelic that a friend of mine who's actually a chemist with a PhD in chemistry made. And, um, you know, I just, it was like, everything was coming together, my life and all these different directions and everything started to connect and make sense. And at the same time I was going through this career change, I had lost my dad and then I had lost my job. And then I had took time off to really question what life was all about because losing your dad very suddenly, um, you know, only about eight years after he retired really made me wonder why, like, why are we just working to then retire and die? You know, like, cause my dad was kind of the very typical American that held, held the same job for, you know, 30 years. And I don't think was ever very satisfied. Like it was enough, but it wasn't like, I knew it wasn't his, his passion. And so, you know, just really deep exploration into like, what is this whole idea of work and career and life? And of course, my business was still running in the background. Like I still had this dream. And by then, you know, I had been really entrenched in running and run multiple marathons and gotten into ultra marathons. And um, I'd already been thinking about developing a running clothing brand. So I'd already... I'd worked in fashion for a while, like the worst industry on the face of the planet. I knew fashion was not aligned with who I was and my values about sustainability and the planet. And I knew there had to be a better way. So during this time off, I had this, you know, I, I finally was like, you know what, I really want to give this idea a try. And I had been thinking about developing my own running apparel brand for about eight years. Like it had been kind of thinking about it and coming to fruition and like wanting to do it, but being afraid. And it was through all these different series of like, you know, getting sick and getting fired or, or whatever. It was like a, a layoff of multiple people and um, losing my dad, taking time off. I, I finally decided to just go for it. I had moved into tech startup industry, which was much better fit than apparel and corporate. Um, but then I realized I was really, I was helping all these early stage startups grow and scale their business. And I was like, why am I helping everyone with their dreams? Right. So, and during all this, I was having all this like deep, intense spiritual growth, going through the, this weird illness and all these, you know, like initiations of sorts. And of course, um, I had never really had thought about taking psilocybin or ayahuasca in a ceremonial setting, but of course they landed right in my lap. Um, you know, through a series of events, you know, someone I know started telling me about the guy who I actually primarily work with today. And I was like, yeah, you know, what? I think I'll go try it. I had been really deep into meditation on the Buddhist path. And I thought ayahuasca would be something I would do once in my life. And um, I really went in there with the intention, like I'm doing this once and that's it. And so, of course, I had the, the most powerful experience I've ever had to this day on that first sit. And um, it just took me on a, a path of knowing that this was here for me and I needed this in my life. And, um, and then I fell, you know, pretty deep into the, the medicine work in a ceremonial setting. So not just the recreational anymore, but really shifting more only towards you know, intentional ceremonial work. And this was about eight or nine years ago. And through all this, I'm, I, you know, I had started up a business. I had done the running apparel thing and given it a go and was still consulting. And this is where things started to really shift. People started coming to me constantly asking for help to start their business. And this went on for years. This went on for like three, four years. And 
you know, through this, I'm also working very deeply with medicine on a deep Buddhist meditation path, um, doing a lot of my own deep inner work, really going through a lot of very quick exponential changes. I had started a business, had phased out working for others. And I started, I was just helping people. I kept saying yes to everybody because I wanted to help. I wanted everybody to live their dreams. And but what I started noticing is people weren't really getting any results from, you know, a two hour coffee or a three hour call or whatever it was. And I was giving away all my time and energy and love. And then, you know, I'd run into people a year later and they're like, oh, I never did anything. And I remember being really disappointed. Like, why, why is everyone finding this so hard? Like I had started a business completely on my own with no help but I'd already, I had known how to do that throughout my whole career. Like this is actually very natural to me as a business person. I've always been like kind of the natural entrepreneur and I already knew how to start up and grow a, a brand because I had done it for other people for so many years. So, you know, I got to this point where I said to myself, um, and I was getting all the signs from the universe where friends were telling me like, you should just do this for a living. Why don't you just help people with their businesses? And I was like, what? what? Is that a thing? Um, but I said to myself, you know, the next person who asked me, I'm going to make them work with me for a few months and I'm going to make them pay me money and see if that gets some results. Um, because first of all, I was getting really overloaded with people asking me for help. Like, you know, you can't say yes to everyone when you're also trying to run your own business. So um, the next person who asked me was someone I barely knew. It was like a friend's 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 brother. And I made him this offer and that's how I got my first client. And so I kind of fell into this business coaching thing through the act of just, you know, like surrendering to all the signs. And then additionally, you know, I was on a, my first dieta down in Peru. And I remember having this vision on my very last ceremony. And to this day, this vision, it just holds, it holds almost everything I do in that essence. And the vision was showing me, what would life be like if you just did what you loved and like helped all your friends? Like that was literally all it was showing me was helping all my medicine friends, helping my own community because I saw my own community really struggling with their livings and their businesses and, you know, getting their gifts out to the world. Um, for example, one of my good friends, when I met her, she was this like super gifted herbalist, like a really pure medicine woman and I asked her one day, I was like, oh, you know, is this all you do? <laughs> like, because I, I knew how much money she was making and it was literally like $400 a month and living in the US. And I was like, how are you living? So I actually just started helping her. Like, I was like, let me just help you. Let me see what this is like and, and if it helps you at all. Um, and that's kind of how my coaching business started. And what I realized was, you know what? I'm called to help people who resonate with me, who understand the path I'm on, and also that I can understand the path they're on, especially when you're on this medicine path. It can be very deep and there's a lot that can come through. And so I, I ended up just helping medicine people, you know, very naturally. Like a lot of my clients were on this path. And then a few years ago, also multiple, you know, ceremonies and dietas, um, it kept showing me and it kept telling me to talk about this intersection of being on the medicine path and working really deeply with psychedelics and, and plant medicines and how it actually helps shape our purpose and come into our heart and follow our true path. And it kept telling me to speak more publicly about this before I was very like, 
you know, a little private and only to my email list and usually in code words only, you know, like people, some that knew, knew, and some that didn't know, no, you know. And then, you know, I, I kept ignoring it for two years and I was like, no, that's, I, I can't go public. Like, that's too much. What if I get everybody in trouble? Or what if I, you know, authorities come knocking on my door? <laughs> and, um, and then it was like eating me alive, like everything else. Like if you don't do it, the universe will just do it for you. And it's interesting the day, like the week I decided, you know what, I'm going to go for this. My friend who's, um, you might know his name is East Forest. He's a musician, Trevor. He had just released an album called music for mushrooms. And I was like, Oh, Trevor's going public now too, the exact same week. And I was like, Oh, okay. Now I feel better knowing someone else who's like very public about it. So from that point on, I just, you know, I'd already made multiple summits previously. So I decided to make a new summit around psychedelics, sacred plant medicines purpose. And that was the first summit. And, um, you know, I did it. I actually thought no one would have any interest. Like I really thought maybe it'd be like a couple hundred people. I was like, no one, no one's going to find this interesting, but I knew I needed to do it for myself and for my higher self. Like the medicine was just telling me like, go do it. So I approached it with zero attachments and um, it ended up that a lot of people were like, yes, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about the other side of not just healing PTSD, anxiety, depression, and trauma, but what about how we can actually do business on a different level on this earth? Like, how do we have conscious business? How do we do business with purpose and heart and purity and also sustainability with the earth and its inhabitants? Because, you know, me as someone who had a sustainable clothing line, which, you know, I eventually closed it down. It's, you know, being in that industry that's so unsustainable for so long, it just really woke me up to like, we need to do business in a totally different way. Like capitalism in itself, obviously everyone knows this, it's broken. And so it's all, you know, it's all tied in together. Um, What I believe is this path of the heart, you know, and there are now really amazing entrepreneurs making millions who are also on this path and trying to do business in a more sustainable manner. And then also, you know, people doing transformational work, like how do we help this planet as a whole, like what is our deeper mission? And so I started just talking about this intersection of this path and having purpose and what it all means, like from now and into the future and what it all means for the transformation of the planet. So that's my long ass story. And um, (laughs) yeah, so thanks for listening. That's how I got here. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's great. Thank you for sharing that there. there, There's a lot there. Um, I think that the first question maybe that, that comes up is, I think especially in this work, what I've noticed is there's, I think there's a lot of resistance to to things like entrepreneurship or this idea of creating one's path of really moving forward. And, you know, some of that could be rooted in, in these ideas of like appropriation and taking things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very interesting because I would imagine, you know, you said since you were very young, you, you had this interest in things like entrepreneurship, which for me is, is really also this idea of, of like self-empowerment. And one Mm -hmm. of the things for me that these plant medicines really 
point towards in people is this idea of self-empowerment of, you know, so much of, of even, even the word psychedelic. I mean, it, it literally means the mind made manifest, the mind revealed. And, and so much of what these plants are working on is kind of getting to the root of these blocks, these barriers that we keep in the way of us fully being integral, of being whole, of, of you know, taking charge of our lives, even you know, these ideas that are really talked about now in, in, in this community, these ideas of like trauma, the, these things that are holding us back. And it's this interesting thing where we live in a culture where we seem to be moving towards this direction of almost like idealizing these things, like whether it's identity politics or, you know, I am this, I am my trauma, I am my skin color. And, and ultimately for me, what, what the plant medicine is, is really pointing towards is, is the letting of those things go because those things ultimately hold us back. And it is this idea of self-empowerment. So I guess the question is, you know, if, if that's what this plant medicine is kind of pointing towards, do you also get that sense of there's sometimes some resistance to that? And <clears throat> why do you think that is? Because almost it seems like entrepreneurship has become almost like a, a dirty word, you know, like it's, it's exploitative or, uh, and, and, you know, literally, I mean, one of the definitions of capitalism is, is the voluntary exchange of goods. And I think we would all agree that that's a beautiful thing. And, and this idea of self-empowerment, taking our lives into our own hands, creating our own destiny. So have you noticed there's resistance oh, to that? Jason, this is, um, yeah, so <laughs> this is actually one of the ways, um, one of the reasons I fell into speaking about this interconnection of being on the medicine path and, and entrepreneurship is what I started witnessing, even within my own community, even on the dietas I've gone on, what I would see is, um, you know, a lot of people would go in there hating their jobs and hating their life and kind of wanting to make these big changes. And they would go have these peak experiences, you know, whether it's, you know, with medicine or other things or a combination, usually a combination. And then they would fall back into their own patterns of like, well, you know, I'm just going to be miserable. And, and it was kind of like, why are you doing all this work if you're not willing to make the change? So that was one thing that I would see come up. So that was one side of it, which is like, people so stuck in fear that they don't make any changes in their life. And then they're just chasing all the, the ayahuasca or whatever it is and not really getting any of the, you know, like what's the point of doing all this work if you're not actually going to make it manifest in your reality. So that I would see that's one side. And then I would see the opposite extreme, which is, go on dieta, drink lots of ayahuasca. And I know this has happened to me. It happens to me a lot where then it's like, you know what, I'm just going to get rid of everything I own, quit my job, take my guitar and live on a mountain and totally check out from life and drop off the earth and wait until money isn't a thing and I can live off the land. And I've seen that happen with some of my good friends. And then a year later, they come back and they're like, oh my God, I'm out of money. Shit. So I was like, there's these extremes and the ones that went and just quit it all and threw it all away. And, you know, which, you know, of course I love the idea of like, yes, definitely clear some crap out of your life that doesn't serve. But at the same time, what I, you know, when I would witness that, I was like, well, you have these gifts, you're born here at this time in, in human history where, you know, you're needed in some form. Like to me, every human has something to share. And if we can just, shift our mindset around, okay, what does it really take to create a transformed planet? Like that's my larger mission is like, how do we contribute to 
um, helping one another, helping the earth, helping, you know, be in more harmony on all levels. But I don't know if it helps if you just check out completely and like leave society and leave the systems. Um, to me, and it's interesting, I had a, a major download about this during one of my last ceremonies where, because I've always been kind of fighting myself on this too, is like, well, I would love to just leave the system completely, but then you can't really make the change you want to see if you're just checked out of the system. So, you know, to me, it's about playing in the system and, and infiltrating it with this new way of living, with this new way of doing business, with this new way of being, meaning like, okay, what happens when you start from the heart and then put it out there? What happens when you start to see money as um, actually an empowering, you know, uh, an empowerment tool that is given in, you know, and, and the reality is, yes, of course, it'd be great if it all just disappeared from the earth, but that's not going to happen today. So instead of um, fighting against it, we can actually embrace it and use it in new, you know, new ways, <laughs> positive ways, um, ways that are actually empowering, like you just said. And this is where, you know, I've done a lot of the deep work around shifting my own beliefs and money and mindset around money. And of course, like, <sighs> ancestral, so much ancestral work around money. I mean, it's all interconnected, right? It's like the human experience is tied into all this, you know, taboo around um, sex and power and money and our, you know, like our ability to manifest and our mind and all the inner power that we have that we're not tapped into. You know, all of this is, it's all interwoven, right? And it's like, but if we actually see this differently, like we take an opportunity to shift our perspective and um, welcome it with love versus like, you know, oh, everyone with money is bad. You know, I know so many people who believe that. But it's interesting. One of my best friends who's been a really good friend for a long, long time, he's in the billions. Like he's a billionaire. Um, but the reality is he's changing the healthcare system. He is someone who believes very strongly about psychedelic medicine. Um, he's given tons of money away to really empowering, you know, startups, um, nonprofits, like he's funded a lot of amazing programs. He's a burner, like I could go on and on. So I'm like, and all of his friends that are also in the millions and billions who I've met, they're also doing really amazing work to change this planet. You know, like sustainable incubators. One of them literally has a hedge fund. I mean, a venture capital that's based around love. I'm like, can you get any better with that? The guy has a private jet but he knows the, the truth about love leading. So I'm like, but is money all bad? No, like maybe, yes, of course, there's some people who are not doing what we'd all like to see with their money. But if you actually get the money into the hands of the people on a spiritual path who are awakened, who, you know, see the world in a different way and see the potential, like that's where we can actually all take an opportunity to shift our mindset around business, money, working, and see it as, you know, what would our reality be like if every human on this planet was allowed to live, not, not just survive, but like thrive off of what they enjoy doing. Meaning like artists are thriving, making money, you know, like when is that day going to come where they're not caught in that like mindset of like, like you just said, like owning the, I am a starving artist. And but this is where the deep healing work, you know, all has to come from within. It's not like, oh, just go hate on Jeff Bezos and, you know, what's his name at Microsoft. 
It's not about just like, oh, hating and separation. It's about, you know, go inward first. Like, where is it that you need to do your own healing around, you know, like the systems? And I, I, I mean, it's like, I get it. The systems are totally broken. They always have been way before COVID. And we all know that they're changing. I mean, it's right in front of our eyes. But in order to create systems that actually support humanity and the earth, we need to be part of the system. Like we need to be the ones like speaking about this like we are right now to be, you know, getting our own message out because the more people with positive messages, like I interviewed David Bronner, the guy put so much money into um, pretty good, you know, for the most part, really good organizations, nonprofits. He helped the whole um, decriminalization movement with like multi-millions. And I'm like, what would happen if all of our CEOs around the world did that, you know, like imagine how our planet would be better. And I, I know this is where we're shifting. Um, so this is where I really encourage people. And I know because all my clients come to me with this like deep money issues and blocks around like, who am I to do this? And how do I ask for money and get paid? And how, how do I start a business while also being like truly authentic with who I am? And I'm like, yeah, there, there is a way. I mean, I've done it. All, most of my friends who are, you know, almost all my friends who are entrepreneurs are doing extremely well. And they're all like just really genuinely good people with good hearts who are like living their authentic truth. And that's it, you know? So there is a way, but I do believe a lot of this is like the deeper, you know, like letting go of like what you just said, it's like holding on to our traumas and living in victimhood and like blaming the external, which as we're seeing is such a huge problem in our society right now. Everybody's like, pointing fingers and blaming external and blaming. And I'm like, no, point inward first, just go inward. Like it's all, you know, work on your own inner, you know, I'm trying to not even use the word healing anymore, but your own like loving what's in you, loving your shadows, loving, loving all the, you know, the work um, that needs to be looked at, you know, like the, the traumas, the ancestral shit you carry. by the way, I hope I can swear on this stuff. Um, you know, I believe that's the real work that needs to be done on this planet is like go inward first, look at yourself, you know, because it's not, it's not like the 10, 20, 30 multi gazillionaires around the world that are ruining the planet. It's like each and every one of us, it adds up. So to me, this is like literally my mission of what I do every day in my business. This is the world I see is that we all have the potential to live from our hearts be very well supported doing work with the, that we love and actually like start to live in balance with all humans and, and earth. And I know it's, you know, maybe we won't see in our lifetime, but I know it's the direction we're going in. I do believe the growth in plant medicines and the awareness of psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. I know this is a part of this, you know, of course it has to be. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not just kind of like a weird coincidence that they're so popular all of a sudden when the world is shifting very fast, you know, it's, they're here, I believe, you know, and you probably share some of the same views, but I do believe, um, you know, these mycelium and the, the vines are spreading themselves around the world with a message to talk to us and tell us something because it's time, you know, it's like, why, why would this be, you know, growing in popularity every day if it wasn't needed? So <laughs> I love this subject, by the way, you can't tell, I get very passionate because, um, 
You know, it's like, I always want the world to meet my billionaire friend. Cause I'm like, if you knew that there's a ton of billionaires out there who are like him, you'll have a lot more faith in money and, and capitalism and business when you meet more and more of these amazing people. And there's more of them every day. Like that's the good news is, you know, it's like every day there's more people shifting in this direction. Like, and it's like, they can't, we can't stop it. You know, more and more people are waking up, more and more people are having psychedelic experiences. And once you go there, you can't really turn back, you know? So I have faith in the future. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. You, you mentioned this idea, which I think is really important, kind of this idea of integration of if we don't integrate these experiences, kind of what, what do they serve us and use this idea of kind of, you know, going off into the, the land and having your guitar and just thinking you're free. But it, it, it made me think, cause in this work, uh, you know, the, the, the majority of this plant work is done by a doctor, a curandero, a healer, you know, whatever word one wants to use. And I, I often think of, of my teacher and he has a, a clinic where he, he, he does a lot of donation work. So anyone can come and see him and it's give what you want. But if you want to learn from him, you have to pay. There's a cost to that. There's an exchange. And I think any doctor, if you are out in isolation away from the world, you're not a doctor because you're not helping people. You know, the, the definition of a doctor is you have to be entrenched in a society and in, in a community mm -hmm. where you're helping people. And, and that was actually the role of a shaman of a cordondero is they, they were, they were a pillar in their community because they were actually looking after their community. Um, and then you also mentioned this idea of, of, of kind of in your own path, this idea of fear of, of coming out and speaking about these things. And mm -hmm. I noticed that in, in my own path, you know, I, most of my time I'm spending in Peru. And when I would go back to the States, there was always this like anxiety when I came to the airport, because it's like, what were you doing for 10 months in Peru? And, you know, this was before I was on a, on a working permit. And, you know, one of the things for me that's very important is to be truthful, you know, to, to honor our word. And But it's kind of crazy because this work is illegal in the U.S. So there's always this dilemma of whether to be able to share it. And I think so much, even as we were talking about before we before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about COVID and, and how, you know, a lot of these networks like CNN and BBC are, are built on these ideas of fear. And, 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 and really, that's one of the ways that I think we, we get caught in a lot of these, these patterns. Um, but kind of this idea of, do you think with this work, you know, you, you mentioned it with yourself, I felt that. Do you think for some of these things, there just needs to be a critical mass where when that's reached, then people kind of feel that they can be empowered in that way? We were talking a little bit about politics too. And, and in that same way, you know, it seems like, especially in the US, I mean, I'm observing it from far and I, I notice it with a lot of my American friends living abroad. We look back in the US and it, it seems like it's insanity because everyone's being canceled. No one can speak their truth. Any Any opinion that's not falling in line it gets censored in a way and it seems like there needs to be this critical mass where then there's not that fear you know when we can just speak out and it's accepted and do you think that's maybe something that's held back this community a little bit is just because it is illegal there was so much stigma around it that it was difficult to fully be empowered in that but that in a way maybe that's changing now as it does become more acceptable 
Yeah. You know, <clears throat> this is interesting because of course I went through this and a lot of my clients are going through it right now because they come to me, you know, starting a business. So they're very new and, you know, a lot of them psychedelic business, psychedelic integration. Um, so yeah, it's a very deep process to come out and be, um, be okay with whatever happens. And the reality is, it's like, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter if you're going to be a healer or a life coach or a psychedelic, you know, whatever it is, there's always going to be haters, right? Like there's always going to be that person that's like, doesn't like what you do. Um, it's happened to me three times with three businesses where I've lost quite literally good friends where I, or people who I thought were good friends. All of a sudden there's something that I do that triggers them or, you know, they don't want to support or they think I'm crazy or whatever it is, or, you know, coming out about psychedelics, of course, I knew this was going to happen. There were a few people that really disapproved of what I was doing, but you have to just keep, you know, and I, I do believe in this, this idea of really being sovereign is going to be talked about more and more and more over the next few years. It's already being talked about so much. Um, my whole dieta two years ago was all about sovereign, like sovereign meaning like really knowing my truth and, you know, standing in it and, if my partner doesn't even like what I say, Hey, you know, it's like, and those things come up, you know, it's like, you're going to have differences of opinion with your good friends, your family, your partners with the random strangers on the social medias, which now we're all seeing as like, you know, like you said, a lot of people are afraid, but, um, the reality is I think, cause it's been interesting to watch. I'm one of these people that's like, let me sit back and just laugh at all the chaos because I don't really like to engage in it. Cause I feel like a lot of it is very, um, it's unnecessary. And it's also, you know, it doesn't, it, it goes against my Buddhist values of, um, you know, bringing together and having unity and wholeness and not, you know, to me, the call out culture, a lot of it is actually way more divisive than it is helpful. And I can tell you many friends of mine um, who are in the BIPOC community, people of color who completely agree there, there's some cases where it's just creating more harm than help. So there is a level of like, and I think people are starting to see this where it's like, well, wait a second, is this really helpful? Like, my recent, um, the, the recent one I ran into, which I thought, thought was actually quite amusing, was someone who was saying, you guys cannot use the word aho ever again unless you're, yeah, I know. Have you heard this one? Unless you're Sue, which by the way, I'm like, I think it's actually supposed to be Lakota. I don't know. Whatever. I didn't even get into that. But I, I actually sent her a link of one of the Council of 13 Grandmothers saying how happy she was that more and more people are using the word aho. It's that we need to understand the meaning of it. But is this bad that I'm a white woman who's using the word aho, which actually means unity and harmony and togetherness and wholeness? Like, it's just, that's where things get crazy. And I was like, well, where are you learning this? How many, how many native ceremonies have you sat in? How many elders have you spoken to about this? Because, and of course I know her path and it's zero. And I was like, you know what? I'll happily introduce you to some native elders who would rightfully disagree with you that this is a bad thing. So it's, you know, but then of course I know there's thousands of people that would totally disagree with that. You know, it's like, we just have to navigate like what feels right to ourselves. And that's all we have. It's all we ever did have even way before this whole, you know, the craziness. And then of course, censorship, um, same thing with censorship. You know, it's been interesting. I've been censored a few times. I've definitely had some things pulled. I've been shadow banned, which is a thing. Um, but 
you know, again, like you said, there's going to be this critical mass. Like, for example, speaking about psychedelics, there's a level where they're seeing like, okay, now all the mainstream media is speaking about psychedelics. So can social media really take down one of my posts? You know, are they going to, are they going to want to? And again, the more people who are like, I've had clients censored who speak about sacred sexuality. It's like, this is our life force. This is like creates humanity. We wouldn't be alive without sex. Why is this all of a sudden bad to talk about? You know, so the more people that are speaking their truth, the more it's like, you cannot detain human freedom forever. It's just impossible. It's the life force of a human and all beings is freedom. And there's always going to be another way. Like even now what we're experiencing with social media, it's like more and more people are leaving Facebook every day and more and more people are moving to these other apps that are not yet censored, you know? And it's like, there's always going to be a way, you know, I'm really a big fan of in-person connections of communities of like having actual like face-to-face conversations like we are now, even though it's not, you know, in person, but And I do believe, like you said, it's like there's, it's in our nature. And I also, we have to, and I don't, I'm assuming you believe this too, but we also have to factor into that there's something way beyond us that is happening that we have zero control over. There are shifts on the planet and shifts in the energies and transits going on that will move us in this direction, whether we like it or not. And I do believe you know, what we're seeing out there with, you know, people being afraid to speak their truth and, you know, and then realizing like, okay, I have to, cause now it's eating me alive. It's like, this is part of our evolution. Like I do believe everyone needs to go through this process at some point. It's, you know, unless you don't evolve at all, I guess, but everyone will be faced with that fear of what will people think or, you know, what friends am I going to lose now or who's going to get pissed off? But the reality is, you know, it's, it's in your nature to speak what's in you and there's a way to do it. And this is what I teach to my clients. There's a way to do it, you know, with baby steps. So it's not like, you know, like me, who's like, let me just do a psychedelic summit. And of course, you know, there were definitely handfuls of haters and I was like, okay, whatever. So you're, you're five people versus 5,000 that love, you know, that said this was life-changing, you know, it's like, That's what I teach my clients is pay attention to the people you're actually helping and not the the minority of the haters that disagree with you. Because it's always the minority too. Like even the medicine path, it's been interesting. There's always a very small minority that's like, these medicines are, you know, supposed to be free and they're for the earth and stop appropriating and blah, 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 and stop making money. And I'm like, dude, I'm just teaching people how to integrate it into their business. But first of all, if you've never been around ayahuasca being made, you have to see how much human labor is involved. That is not a free process. There are humans that work their butts off to make, you know, this much tea. It takes like, you know, it's, it's, it's nonstop work. And I'm like, you know, and how many people are out there finding psilocybin mushrooms growing in their backyard? You know, very few, it takes someone to grow them. We can go on and on with all the other medicines and like ketamine clinics and MDMA therapy. Like, yes, I I always balance my own business with, um, you know, like I do many of my programs are paid and then I do a ton of free content. And that to me balances it out. Of course, there's people that will never buy anything I offer. That's fine. Come to all my free stuff. So this is to me, this is what you always have to keep in mind when you're living in that fear of like, what will people think? Just remember that you're actually doing more help than harm. 
Meaning like if you're out there talking about medicines or, or you're even a facilitator giving medicines, you know, of course there's so much controversy now over like, stop doing the toad medicine, stop working with combo. And it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, is that really the answer for everybody? I don't know. I think it's more, um, Trisha Eastman, who's a good friend wrote a rebuttal to this article. And I was like, you know what, this is actually the one that makes more sense is how do we actually become more in balance with, um, the indigenous peoples that carry this medicine and give back to their community? How do we keep them, you know, aligned with what we're doing in a more positive direction as psychedelics become legal? So it's more about figuring out this balance point. And I think that's going to be the same thing with speaking truths and speaking about things that are scary or that people don't like. Just know that there's, it's like all of life. There's always a polarity. And the more we can just sit in that center, you know, like in your grounded self, which is why integration is so damn important. Like being centered and like, you know, really tapping into that sovereign, you know, your heart of your truth and knowing that nothing can affect you. Meaning even the good, like I keep this in check a lot. Like even when I get positive feedback from all my clients, I'm like, okay, this is great, but I'm just here to fulfill a mission. You know, I'm not attaching to the positives and I'm not attaching to the negatives. And I'm just staying centered in like, let me just listen to what's coming through and be that channel. And I do believe the more we can just see ourselves as that, like we are channels for something else to come through us, like that's going to make it much easier to like not get stirred up by all the, you know, the anxiety of someone calling you out on something they don't believe in, which we're going to see it more. It's only going to be more and more. I, I believe these are all like energies being shaken up. This is like a gigantic collective purge. And we have no idea how long it'll go on for, but probably at least a few years. And um, we have to really learn to just like get grounded and like not be affected. You know, it's like this a regulation of, um, you know, if, if the world didn't speak our truth, we wouldn't have Martin Luther Kings and we wouldn't have Gandhi's and we wouldn't even have... I always say it's like even Mother Teresa had haters, like, you know, Oprah has haters, um, Marianne Williamson, all these like spiritual leaders, like people hate good people constantly. But if we didn't have them speaking, like what, you know, it's like we wouldn't have great books. We wouldn't have, um, you know, the Buddha. It's like, look at the Buddha criticized, you know, by his own family. We could go on and on. And so all of these are like, you have to come back to like, Remember the source, you know, usually when I get a hater, it's like, it's from a source of someone who's like, I don't know, you know, they're angry at themselves over something, you know, but more often I get the positive feedback saying, wow, I'm so glad you said that I really needed to hear that or wow, it's good to know I'm not alone. So, you know, it's just, it's all about having perspective and getting out of your head, people like this is a huge thing. Get out of your head, get in your body, get grounded. And that's like, you know, this is going to be the lesson um, until at least 2026 because Uranus is in Taurus, which is all about the body. And as we know, this is a huge part of the integration work. So it's all, you know, it's these webs that are all interconnected. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it makes me think of, uh, I mean, obviously one of the, 
the most important figures in history was Jesus and uh, his, his message is super powerful. And yet he was, he was crucified on the cross. And uh, exactly. <laughs> I, I often mention that there, there's a guy who I like a lot. I, I've worked with him a, a bit and his name is Romualdo. He's from the Arawaku people in the North of Colombia. And I'd love to have him on the podcast one time, although I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure how long it would be. Cause it's very funny whenever anyone asks him a question of, you know, why am I suffering? or why are these things out of balance his answer is always the same and he says you haven't made a payment and that's it you know that's that's his answer for everything is you haven't made a payment and he doesn't necessarily mean literally like a monetary payment but there, the, the idea that there has to be this exchange if if we constantly take and we don't give back or as you said we point the finger but we don't point the finger at ourselves things become out of balance. And you mentioned this idea of, of you know, it, it does seem to be, especially in this community, there's, there's this, as you said, sometimes this idea that things need to be free. And as he would say, nothing is free. Everything has a cost. There's a payment for everything. And, and I think sometimes we look at these medicines, again, these, these, these doctors, these cordenderos, and in the societies we come from, a, a doctor, a curandero, they're in general very wealthy. That's considered a very coveted job, that, that there needs to be a monetary reciprocity because they're doing tremendous work. And yet it's this very weird thing where we look at a lot of these more traditional or indigenous doctors and there's this mentality that their work should be for free because it's somehow spiritual. And it's it's this, it's it's, it's a very unhealthy view from my point, and it's also a very selfish view. Um, and it, so at the same time, you know, where, where do you think is that balance? Because again, if you look at a more traditional way, like the shaman, the curandero, they never worked for free. There was always an exchange. That's actually one of the, the pillars of any kind of healing work. I, I was just, I, I do martial arts, I do jujitsu. And I was just having a, a conversation with, with one of the guys who I study with. And it, he didn't want to have someone come to the class because this guy was unwilling to pay. And for him, you know, he said very beautifully, like, I don't care if he gives like one soul, you know, that, that's the Peruvian currency. Yeah. Even if he brings me a sack of potatoes, but there needs to be some sort of exchange. Otherwise it is just taking and there's no giving back. So I think one of the interesting things with this work, and you touched on it a little, but where's that balance between, you know, as you said, even in your own path in the beginning, so many people were coming to you and asking you for help. And I think a lot of people, when they start to do this work, that's a natural thing is people start coming and asking for help. And it can be very overwhelming. You know, I, I also sometimes look to my teacher and the more he helps, the more people ask for help. And mm -hmm. it, it's one of the reasons I don't talk to him that much is because every time I'm around him, he's just constantly getting phone calls of people asking for help, wanting advice, needing things. And I can see how in a way like overwhelming it is. And so what is that balance of when people come to us, you know, offering help, wanting to help, because that is, even in this world of being a doctor, being a curandero, or even in a Western sense, the Hippocratic Oath is, is the ability to help, you know, to help people in need and not to do harm. But at the same time, as you mentioned, this idea that 
or, or as we both mentioned, this idea that there needs to be an exchange, there, there needs to be, you know, some form of payment. So, so how does one find that balance of, of, of wanting to help? Because I think so many people who do this work, they have a genuine desire where they really want to help. But then at the same time, the work you're doing is, is how do we begin to monetize that? Because again, if there is no exchange, it's not healthy. And, and also for the person practicing, like it, it's not sustainable. You know, you use that word sustainable. If we're constantly giving and giving and giving, then eventually there's potentially there's nothing left to give. So how do we how do we make that a uh, I mean, I guess you could say career, but but even just that word sustainable, how does that become sustainable where we can make a life doing that while still giving back? I know that's a big yeah. question, but <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good one. And it's, you know, of course, everybody's still trying to navigate this, um, you know, and it's interesting because again, it's like the shaman that I work with in Peru has a whole, um, you know, like botanical garden where he grows all the medicine in a sustainable way so that it can be, you know, sustainably harvest. And there's, you know, 700 plants and he has multiple workers and he makes the medicine and, it's like when you see all this time and energy and then human labor that goes into sustaining this really amazing healing work that's available to anybody, um, you know, you see that like, of course, this has to cost money. You know, these plants just don't grow. I mean, it takes seven years to be able to harvest ayahuasca. So to pay, you know, whatever it is, like, yeah, there's a there's always a way. And the reality is like he's not, he can't do this for free, or else he wouldn't be able to serve more people and help more people. So you have to see it from this outside perspective of like if I didn't make money, I would not be able to reach more people. So therefore I wouldn't be able to help more people. If I didn't really ask for money back for my work, I would maybe only be able to help three people instead of 300, you know, and it's like. That's where it, again, it, it becomes this energy exchange that needs to be seen from a place of, you know, one needs to give to another back like the sacred reciprocity. And again, it doesn't have to be money. It could be other things. Like, for example, one of the best things that I thought worked really well, um, which to me, I'm like, oh, this is kind of how society could work or maybe actually already does. But I was in a Burning Man camp one year where there were different tiers for people at different income levels. So the people who had tons of money could pay all the money, like they would pay the premium and they were assigned just, let's say like two jobs. And then there were people that wanted to not pay anything or pay very little. They got to work instead, you know? And of course they didn't like, so I actually had the money to pay for my full way, but I actually wanted to work because I love helping set up a camp. I actually find it enjoyable. So I was like, yeah, of course I want to go early and hang out with you guys and help because that's part of the enjoyment. So I got a, a free ticket and a free whatever. I don't even remember what else, but it's like, okay. And then one person who only came in for three days and just wanted to come have the experience and leave, you know, they, they offset it with their payment, meaning like their extra payment probably covered my free stuff. You know, but no one was disgruntled. You know, no one was like, oh, I have to do work. People were actually very happy because it it really even now, like, okay, I would actually rather work and pay less or and enjoy it because I actually enjoy that. You know, so-and-so would rather fly in for two days, have the experience and pay, you know, $10,000. Okay, to each their own. You know, there's no judgment in that, you know, like, and it doesn't really say like they're bad because they have money. Um, and I think we just need to see things as like, there's always a way. So for example, 
you know, and this is what I teach to my clients and how I run my business. I have different tiers of things. Like one is higher end, one is medium level, one is extremely affordable. And the other, which is launching in a few months is going to be super affordable. Meaning like, okay, if you can buy coffee or a lunch, you can join my program affordable. So there's different levels. And then I do tons of free content. So you know, it's available to everybody, but the reality is, and what I've seen this with healing and coaching and therapy and shamanism, coranderas, medicine work, I could go on and on. If you don't put the money in, if you don't give, you don't actually get the kind of results that you want back. Like it's just, it needs to be an even level of exchange. So this is why I've had a lot of clients as healers where they're like, they come to me and they're like, I'm sure this is us money. And they're like, I'm charging $60 an hour. And I'm like, and then they're like, people keep canceling on me. And then people only go to one session. They never come back. Or I don't know why they don't, they don't get results. They didn't really like it. And I'm like, yeah, but they're not valuing your work. But if you charge like at least the going rate, like where I live, it's, you know, 150, 200, 250, whatever it is for an hour of whatever acupuncture or massage or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, if they don't give some skin in the game, like something that makes them feel a little like stretchy, meaning like, okay, if you want to get results, you have to put something on the line and be committed, you know? And that's where it's like, yeah, stack of potatoes or money come up with something, you know, I've actually, I rarely do it, but once in a while, once in a blue moon, it's usually for a good friend. I'll do an energy exchange where it's like, okay, I need a photographer. You need business coaching. We'll figure that out, you know? And it's like, usually we pay each other, you know, some amount, but like, there's always a way, you know? So I don't, usually that's not enough. Like people still need to have something that feels really scary to them, which usually is money, like handing over money to invest in something that you believe in that you want that means you'll actually show up like for me and my clients invest in the coaching means you actually go to the coaching calls. You actually take the coaching, you actually do everything I teach and that's how you actually get results. But if I gave this away for free, they would probably just like bail on the calls and not really do any of the work and they wouldn't take it very seriously. So it's, you know, again, it's like, we have to see this from a different perspective of it's not about like, milking people for money. It's about like having that exchange where it actually benefits you to put something on the line, you know, whether that's like actual money or a prized possession or like you, like me and, you know, the last person who I did an energy exchange with, we had a contract written up, like you're giving me these things and I'm giving you these things and it's a contract and we're committing to it. You know, so it's still, it's like, we could have actually just paid each other money and paid each other back, but it's still that having that skin in the game where it's like, okay, now I'm giving up X number of hours of my time and he's giving up X number of hours for his time. So um, I think this really needs to be seen from this place of also being supported, meaning like, you know, the more money that I have, the more I can actually distribute out to support others, which I love doing, I'm like, I've donated more money in the last year than I've probably donated in my entire life, you know, all together, just because I'm like, okay, well, you know, I have the ability and now a lot of people, you know, like organizations I believe in want it, need it. There's a lot of endeavors I believe in. So, and then of course, you know, you being paid 
well means that then you can go, you know, study with the Corundera or learn a new um, modality or go take a different training or go study somatic therapy, whatever it is. And then you're able to help people on a new level. And it's like, I do believe in this cycle of um, the energies of like money in, money out, money in, money out. And this is, I mean, it's like, if we start to see money from this other perspective, the money is actually, you know, it's love. It's a love energy. Like if you pay, you know, if I pay my gazillionaire, billionaire friend for his healthcare company, which I do, by the way, it's like, okay, I'm paying him. He's making billions, but then he gives away probably like, at least definitely six figures, multiple six figures a year to other, you know, organizations, other startups, you know, it's like the money is constantly flowing, you know, he's not hoarding it, you know, yeah, he has a few homes, but he's not a hoarder. He's constantly supporting, you know, I mean, I introduced him to Rick Doblin of maps. And then like, next thing you know, they were like, wow, thanks so much. He made a huge donation. It's like, this is how we're getting decriminalization happening, you know? So we have to, I think it's all this larger picture of like finding that balance within ourselves of how do we see this exchange? Like we can choose to see it from this like bad place, or we can choose to see it from an abundance mindset, which actually will bring in more abundance into your own life. So what I find is the people who are caught in the whole narrative of like, you shouldn't charge and money is bad. And ew, that person's like asking for too much. It's all from this kind of lower vibration mindset of there is not enough on this planet. And there's actually an unlimited quantity. It's the same thing with people. It's like, yes, we have to have sustainability in mind, but we also have to remember nature is abundant. Like that's how nature is. It's like the ultimate, you know, a seed drops and a plant grows, you know? So if we start to see everything as like, what if we shift our mindset as like, we're all abundant and yeah, maybe some are like materially more abundant than others, but the mindset comes, it starts from within, and when you shift to that, you'll see more abundance coming into your life because it is, you know, our reality is a mirror of our thinking and our way of being and our way of seeing the world. So you can choose the mirror of scarcity and separation and um, not enough and like everybody's bad, but it's only going to keep you in your suffering, you know, and that's a choice. It's really a choice to live like that, you know, and yes, of course, I'm not dumb. I, I realize there are some societies that have like more versus less, but I don't, you know, you spending time in Peru, I know this, I've been to, you know, 37 countries and many third world countries. The, the societies that have less material crap, like aren't buying stuff on Amazon every day, they're actually much happier people because their abundance mindset is from within. It's not like, oh yes, I'm able to order a bunch of knickknacks on Amazon every day. That's the, cause that's not where the happiness is anyways. You know, it's like the more money I make, the less I care about the actual money, you know, because it's all about the, the feeling and the, the mindset and the, the belief that like it's unlimited and it's available to everybody. So, um, I think this is a larger, you know, larger picture. And I know, thankfully there's a lot of good teachers out there teaching this idea of, um, you know, that the, the reality is a mirror for what you're, you know, what you choose to think, believe, and be like, it's all starts with you. So, um, 
you know, yes, I think we all need to figure out a way to balance out. And I believe a lot of this is, again, like deeper level systematic issues. You know, it's like, you know, and making your, and again, it has to start within you though. It's like making your own choice. Like I've always talked about conscious consumerism. It's like, okay, do you need to buy everything that's just cheap crap out there because it's cheap? Or can you actually like save up money and buy one thing that lasts longer, which is actually more sustainable? you know, like, or make better decisions that are not based on like, um, you know, this feeling like filling a void, you know, and instead make decisions based on like, okay, what's most important to you? Like, what do you truly need? You know? And it's, so it's, again, it's a lot of this, like looking back into you. And then of course, like the larger scale system, but I think there's more and more awareness and more and more people are waking up to this and, you know, like, Again, the more people that work with medicines and start to see like, oh, it's like a different perspective has come through. Let me think about that. What does that mean? You know, like that's where there's going to be like a lot of the shifts because, um, you know, you can't ignore these messages, you know, and it's like you can't ignore the mounds of garbage on the planet either, you know. So, um, so I hope I didn't go off on too much of a tangent, but it's all these things are all interconnected. It's, it's, you know, a lot of this stuff runs very deep too. It's like, we can't ignore the fact that these are, um, programming that has been with us, you know, it's in like in our DNA, unfortunately. And a lot of it's like, take some deep level, honest work to look at yourself and your own patterns and your own stories that you tell yourself. And that's where it becomes like really a choice. Like, what life do you want to choose? Do you want to choose to be unhappy all the time or and like have the world work against you? Or do you want to choose a different way of thinking, which then starts to reflect in your own reality? And, um, you know, if people need help, I, I have a really good teacher who teaches all this. And of course I teach it, but, um, you know, it's like, you can just start reading and doing your own education and your own work on this. It's, it's very, it's actually, it's all very simple too. You know, it's like, it's unfortunately it just takes like a complete reprogramming of everything we've all been taught, you know, which is thankfully happening on a larger scale, it seems. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I had known about Tony Robbins for a long time and, and I, I never really listened to him much, but somehow this book came across to me. It was a book, I think it was called money. And it was very interesting because he was interviewing all of these really, really successful people like, um, you know, Ray Dalio and, and uh, Warren Buffett and all of these really successful investors. And something that he found, which I found very interesting, is that they all had this idea that in order to, to, to make money, they had to give money. And something he found that they all did was they all gave a lot of their money away. And you know, maybe it was only 10%, but at that level, 10% of their wealth is a tremendous amount of money they were giving away. And it was really interesting because uh, sometimes in the morning I, I go on YouTube and I, I, I watch, you know, whatever comes up in my feed that looks interesting. And there's this one guy in, in New York and he's a really interesting guy. I, I, I can't remember the, uh, his channel, but he's a white guy and he learned uh, Mandarin and he's, he's also, I think, learned Cantonese and Fujianese and yeah. He, he lives in Chinatown and he goes around and he talks to all these people. And it, the videos are always like, you know, these people are, are so surprised because there's this white guy. I think guy I've seen this. Yeah. I think I've seen this guy because I remember being like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's just so funny, you know, seeing people's reactions. But 
uh, in this this latest video is really beautiful because you know I think one thing he's done is he's shed a lot of light you know on these communities which in Chinatown <clears throat> you know I lived in New York for eleven years I actually lived in Chinatown but I think most New Yorkers you know don't really know Chinatown that well or you know really know the culture they not necessarily like eating in the restaurants and and really kind of taking that in and I think one of the beautiful things he's done is he's really shined a light on this community that doesn't necessarily get a lot of exposure mm -hmm. and in this last video is really beautiful because he's I think he's doing really well now you know I, who knows he's got like a million subscribers so I'm sure he's making pretty good money and he did this really beautiful thing which because of COVID these restaurants are really being affected and for Chinese New Year's he went around and he gave five thousand dollars to all of these restaurants as, as, as a gift and it was this beautiful thing where, again, this idea of by him doing well, he's able to also now give back and to share. And it's this, you know, this really beautiful thing. It kind of like you're talking about this mentality of like when we do do well for ourselves, it's not inherently a selfish thing. It also empowers us to be able to give back. Um, and yeah, so I, I just found that that really beautiful. And it was really interesting because I, I just saw that yesterday. Oh, I need to go look that up. <laughs> I know I lived, I lived in New York. I'm actually outside of New York. I'm an hour and 45 outside of the city now. But um, I have to say the one thing I went to, I went back to the city for the first time just a month and a half ago. And I was like, oh, it's, it's really depressing. Like I feel so bad for the business owners and um, especially the restaurants because it's a huge part of New York city. So yeah, I need to see this because I my heart was really broken going there. I was like, wow, it's so different. Um, and that's you know that's where you know we have to start questioning like is what's what's for the greater good really you know like what is the answer and you know again this comes back to speaking your truth. It's like I mean even people I know who are pretty high up there and these powerful um, you know healthcare companies have said that maybe shutting down the economy was even worse for, you know, people's health than actual COVID, you know, and who am I to say that that's true? We'll never know because that's not what happened. But, you know, there's a, there's always this, you know, question of like, what's really good or bad? You know, I, I constantly am referring to that, you know, Chinese proverb. I don't know if you've heard it. The one who's like the farmer, Who's, it's like this farmer's son falls off a horse and gets hurt. And, you know, someone comes and says, oh, this is so bad. And he said, who's to say what's good or bad? And then, you know, and then the son has something happen and it was really good. And, you know, and at the end, it's like, it's, it's all about to, you know, like, I forgot how it ends, <laughs> you know, like I know how it ends, but don't want to give it all away. But, um, you know, it's about like these, these polarities of like, who's to say what is good or bad? Like even, you know, the day Trump got elected, you know, of course, wasn't who I voted for. But I was like, you know, here's the thing. Like, I believe that everything has to surface for a reason. Like, we are born at this really crazy, chaotic time right now for a reason. It's not easy. I don't know if it ever was easy. And who knows if it ever will be, like, hopefully in a few hundred years. But, um, you know, I, I kept saying, I was like, who's to say what's good or bad? You know, and I still like wonder if maybe this shit needs to surface in order to make the changes. Like, what is it really going to take? For, and this is like the as above, so below. It happens within. It's like, what does it take to make inner change? You know, like it usually takes people being pushed to the brink of, you know, like for me, it was like being on my deathbed multiple times, you know, and like 
losing it all a couple of times and crying on the floor, contemplating suicide a couple of times, you know, it's like usually in order for someone to make like massive change in their life, you know, you have to be kind of on that edge of destruction. It's the same thing with the earth and humanity. It's like, yeah, what is it going to take for people to wake up and make systematic changes or change their buying behaviors or their eating behaviors or their, you know, littering, like quite quite literally living in New York city. I'm like, I cannot believe the amount of people that would just like litter in the subway. And I'm like, what is that? Where's this coming from? Where, what does this take? But maybe it takes having garbage piling up in front of their doorstep to finally make the change. Like, we'll see, you know, and this is where, um, like with anything, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very interesting journey and same thing with business and money. It's like, who's to say what's good or bad, you know, like, yes, it's, it's good there's decriminalization, but guess what's funding decriminalization? Lots of money and power, you know, and like people who are speaking their truths. Like even Rick, when I interviewed Rick Doblin a few years ago, he was like, he, he saw this psychedelic renaissance as, you know, Stonewall in the 60s and 70s with the gay rights movement. He's like, this is the same thing, you know? And I think we're actually going to have to have some kind of form of like psychedelic rights one day too. It's like, people to come out to their employers and being like, you know, like not afraid of losing their jobs because they just shared about their recent ceremony, you know, like with people who knows, um, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't have to get to that point. <laughs> well, you mentioned this idea, even with money of having skin in the game and, and certainly, you know, something I've noticed in, in, in working with many people now is, so, you know, these, these plants are so interesting because they do affect people very, very differently. I mean, people can have drastically different experiences and often, maybe even always, I would say that the most profound experiences happen when someone is ripe for that, when someone is ready for that. And there often has to be, uh, in a way, a very dark place where someone has been in to be ready to see the light, you know, in that metaphorical sense. And, and that in a sense is having skin in the game, you know, that the stakes are very high. It's often, if this doesn't work, I'm going to die or I'm going to commit suicide. Like I'm, I'm at my wits end. And even I think a lot of these kind of spiritual teachers that I think a lot of people find reverence in people like maybe Eckhart Tolle or Byron Katie, they yeah. have a very common experience. I mean, they were at death's door more so <laughs> mentally than and physically they they just they were at a point where they they were suffering so much they didn't want to live anymore and then something shifted um mm -hmm. so do you think do you think that's maybe a similar thing in 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 the work you're doing as you said like having skin in the game is because it's similar i think to a lot of medicine work you know if for example if, if someone pays for someone to come down i can almost guarantee that that person isn't going to have a truly life transforming mm. experience because they don't have skin in the game. Um, and so in that way, do you think with the work you're doing that, that, that sense, like there needs to be, because I also see like in the world right now, this idea of like equity or, you know, everything needs to be the same. Like as long as things were good, we were, we would all be happy. And that 
fundamentally doesn't seem to be true. Like suffering seems like it, it's, it's an inherent part of life. And if we don't go to those lows, then we never truly appreciate those highs. Yeah. And, and do you think that's a similar thing in business is that in a way, maybe we need to struggle. We need to go to those lows, maybe even just to have the impetus to say, Hey, like something needs to change. Like I need to get myself out of this situation. I, I, so last year I did a whole workshop called, um, it was something like initiations, like initiations in your business. Yes. I mean, the reality is this is like, this, this is the nature of uh, reality, right? Like we have polarities, like we would never experience love without the opposite of love. Like it, we just wouldn't know any better. And it's the same thing with anything in life. Like usually you have to hit the low to hit the high. You have to go, you know, down to that edge of like near death to finally make the changes so you can earn your life back. It usually seems to be the pattern. You know, the only other option is people who are like, I don't know, alcoholics who are numbing or people who just are completely tuned out and checked out and don't want to deal with anything and just bypass all of it. But yeah, this is, it's funny. Someone, I was just talking to someone last week about Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie and their experience. And it's like, look what happened. You know, it's like, push to the ultimate edge. And then now look, it's like, you know, I know not everybody has a spontaneous, like amazing awakening and becomes a best-selling author, but these are people who were at that like final point. And now look, they're amazing. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's happened to me multiple times. Like the one story that comes up so much where I should, <laughs> one day I should tell the whole story in, in visual detail, but I was like on my living room floor like crying on my knees, like at the point of disaster of like, okay, there's nothing left. Like it's either I make a change or it's suicide. Like it's, it got to that point, you know? Um, and it's been like that for a lot of my clients, they come to me and I, I always say, look, like if you're living a really misaligned life or you're unfulfilled or you're on the path, that's not really your true path in your heart, then you can pretend to work with it and like, you know, live with it. But there's, especially if you're on this path of medicine work or on a deep spiritual path, your soul will not take it at some point. Like it will literally like do it for you. So for me, I've, I've ended up in the ER multiple times. Like I had um, these crazy things happen where it took literally being brought you know, in an ambulance to emergency room to finally be like, huh, maybe I should make a change, you know? So a lot of my clients will come to me, um, you know, at this, like I have a client right now who's, it's interesting. I, I, for some reason, get a lot of people from the Western healthcare system, nurses, um, people working in medical offices, actually a bunch of nurses, even a doctor, um, therapist, like traditional therapists, people, going from that system who are also on the medicine path. <laughs> Imagine what that does to you where they're like, oh my God, I cannot take it anymore because they know the insides of the system. And they're like, the system is so broken and I don't even believe in it. And I know there's another way. And it's, you know, I've actually helped a lot of people become functional medicine coaches and doctors Um you know, psychedelic healers, um, people doing alternative, you know, alternative, which to me is the norm medicine. So, but what happens is they get to that breaking point, especially after working with medicine 
And they're like, I just can't take it anymore. And of course, very often they're on the verge of quitting or sometimes um, something even happens at their job or they actually lose their job. I always say, look, it's a lot easier to recognize it now and start to make the changes before all that happens because it's much easier than like waiting till you lose your job or waiting. One of my former clients, um, thankfully, had already worked with me the year before and taking her job from full-time to part-time, which I always recommend, like, don't quit tomorrow. Just make the changes, make the transition into your entrepreneurship while you still have a job. Like, do the slow shift if you, you know, unless you can afford to just quit. But what happened for her was really interesting. She went full-time, part-time, started up her business, started getting some traction, was going to continue. And then COVID hit. And some crazy stuff went down at her job where they um, were forcing her to go in, even though she was an unessential worker and she was in like an office job. And she's like, no, I'm not going. And this, this is in New York City at the beginning of, you know, the first few months of COVID when New York City was like pretty crazy. And she's like, no, I refuse. And so they like made an agreement and she lost her job and she got some severance and guess what? Now her business is completely taken off. So, but it was like, you know, these, these transitions and these moments of um, like, but she knew it was coming, you know, she's like, I hate working here. Like, it's so misaligned with who I am. I don't even want it. You know, it's like, so it's much better to make those shifts beforehand versus waiting till, your job is gone or, um, you know, the world changes very fast. All of a sudden now you're irrelevant or whatever it is, or like the markets crash or, um, or you lose it all. And now you're like scrambling for something. So the initiations are here for a reason. I do believe they're necessary. I don't know if, I mean, this is like, you know, this is human nature. It's like, we're always going to have this polarity of like our fear. I always put it over here. It's like this ego part of ourselves, which is the fear. And then the truth, which is love, you know, and it's like, it's always going to be there because if we didn't know the fear, if we didn't know the doubts, the limiting beliefs, the, the illusion that's trying to keep us trapped. If we didn't have that awareness, we wouldn't have an awareness of like the higher self of the path of spirit, the path of like what you are really here for in your soul's incarnation. You know, those, those are like total opposite extremes, but you have to have both, you know? I mean, I believe that there's, you know, the golden age one day is coming, you know, maybe, I don't know how many more years do they say it is like 12,000 or something. (laughs) Um, You know, who knows? I would love to know what it's going to be like, but I don't, I think we're always going to have to have those um, initiations in life. You know, it's like, and same thing. And this is where I love medicine for this reason. You know, I say to my clients all the time, I'm like, look, if you can learn to sit with medicine, bringing you to the ultimate, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but most people, I know me, I've had so many experiences where I thought I was going to flip out and die during a ceremony multiple times, like been brought onto my knees, like begging and like, Oh, like I can't take it. Like the ultimate, I mean, I thought I was going to kill myself on a dieta once I was actually scared. I was like, Oh my God. But, but what showed me, I and mean, it was like that whole year was like so dark for me, but it was my initiation year. You know, it was such a deep initiation. This one moment it finally showed me, I was like, oh, this is why I need to go all the way to the point of like 
Like I announced, I was like, I'm never drinking ayahuasca again, including on this dieta. Like I was done, but it showed me my mind. Like it showed me what liberation truly was. And I was like, Oh, I need to sit in this. I need to like be able to sit in this in order to become a real light worker. Like you have to navigate the darkness you know, this is the light won't exist without the dark, you know, like you have to have them both. And this is where I believe this is like humanity's work right now is to like, learn to sit in all this discomfort of like the uncertainty and the changes and the, you know, the ups and downs. And I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but it's definitely not easy, you know, and, and I don't think it ever was, you know, um, I mean, I would love to think that there's this one day where there's this golden age and everything is just perfect and beautiful. But in order to get there, we have to experience all the stuff coming to surface, which is things like presidents getting elected that you don't like or, you know, things happening that you just don't agree with. I mean, it's all people need to be riled up and all this stuff. It's like it's like doing a Olympia. Like <laughs> it all needs to come out in order to like call on that light. Um, so I do believe this is, this is one of the big journeys of these days is learning how to like sit in the, the calm of the collective storm. And this is where I love medicine work. I think, you know, when the pandemic hit, I said, I'm like, God, I'm glad I've done so much medicine. Cause I don't know if I would have been able to handle it. Like it was already anxiety provoking, but I just sat and I used it as an opportunity to go deeper into the surrender path. I was like, oh, this was a great, a great reason or a great opportunity to just put my surrender to practice. Like, and I just went and sat in it. And I think a lot of people did. And that's where I feel like these are beautiful opportunities, you know, and it's the same thing within your business. Like a lot of my clients have to go through this initiation of being faced with all the ultimate fears. And I, I'm constantly teaching way beyond just actual business strategy, but like how to trust yourself, how to surrender, how to trust your higher self, how to really tune into your heart and know that to see the signs of your, like the path, like follow the path and notice the synchronicities, notice all the signs and know that, okay, these actually mean something. And if you can just keep following one little golden nugget at a time, and just keep like, you know, love, like come from love, like lots of self-compassion, like everything will work out. It always does, you know, even through the, the challenge, you know, um, that's why it's like challenge equals opportunity is such a, it's so profound and so real. And it's so hard to remember when things are challenging, you know, but it's, it's the only way out really is through. Mm-hmm. So one of the, I think one of the the main things I see with people coming to work with with plant medicine is this sense of of a lack of purpose of of not fitting in, kind of this sense of something isn't right in my life and and I need to find the answer and often for them that entails a, a job a purpose like what do, what do I do with my life. And, and I think with a lot of people, there's also this sense of like overwhelm. Like, I just, I don't know where to start. Like it, it seems so overwhelming. So do you have any tools or anything? I mean, with the work you're doing, like how does one go from that sense of like, I don't know what my purpose is. I know, I know there's something I want to be working on, but I feel like I'm not doing that. 
do you have any like, you know, advice or recommendation of, of how to get to that point of just a complete overwhelm to, to actually being able to kind of put one step in front of the other and, and begin to create that? Yes. This is um, actually a lot of my clients come to me exactly like this, where they, they're feeling the misalignment, you know, like something's off, doesn't feel right. They're not happy. And they know there's something else out there and they maybe have had some ideas, but there's no clarity and they don't know what to do first. Um, So one thing that I always say, which is, you know, part of our societal problems at large is that everybody's moving too fast and doing too much and having their attention pulled in 50,000 directions, you know, 10,000 social media platforms, on and on. Um, One of the best things you can do is just have a daily practice of slowing down. I love daily meditation. If it's something like finding your purpose, have a prayer, you know, like you can use a different word if you don't like the word prayer, you know, an intention, whatever it is, but ask for guidance. Like that's one of the best things you can do is just ask, like ask and you will receive, you know, I pray with the earth. I'm constantly talking to my trees outside, like, okay, guide me to what's next. You know, give me the, give me the signs, you know, let me know, like, and the more you can quiet down, you know, tune, get into your body, let go of the mind and really um, ground your energy and ground into um, that space of just letting it come through, you know, like really allowing the messages to start coming through. And the more you just, and again, don't expect an answer, you know, when after one meditation session, it's a daily practice. And the more you can just, be in the space of receiving and allowing what, you know, your purpose is to come through, you will start to feel it. You'll start to get the messages. You'll start to have the intuitive insights. You'll start to feel something in your heart. You know, like one of my clients has been working with me for a while now. Um, and she's, she's caught up in Japan in like a very traditional society of like, you work and there's no meaning you just make money and like, that's it. But she, she's on this, you know, spiritual path. And I was like, I know there's a purpose and it's taken her this huge process of like, okay, daily meditation, going outside, getting onto the earth, you know, having time alone without distraction of like, you know, whatever people are distracted by these days, the internet and movies and uh, like filling that space with stuff because all that is just distracting you Because of course, when you're feeling bad, all you want to do is feel good. And all these distractions are created to make us feel better, even though they really don't. So the more you can just sit, like sit with that feeling in you, that's like, okay, I don't know my purpose, but I want to, you know, that's where you ask, you know, you can tune into your spirit guides, your ancestors, your higher self, you know, again, whatever you believe in, I'm not here to say that this is what I do. Um, But you, you ask for guidance. And then you are receptive. And then if you start to see things differently, meaning like you start to notice, you know, pay attention to the synchronicities or the signs or things people say, or the people that you meet, or, you know, like a random interview like this comes through and it wakes up something in you. It's like, pay attention to those because they're all aligning with you. Thank you. Do I have to stop? Oh, thanks. Can you just... (laughs) I'm on a video. Thank you. There's always package mix-ups with my neighbors. Although he's wearing a security jacket. But, you know, all these signs are here for a reason. They're, to me, 
you know, not saying this is the truth, but nothing is an accident. You know, it's like, they're all here for a reason. And if you just have the clarity in your mind to pay attention, you will start to feel what would it be like if I did that? And this is the next thing I say is get curious. Like, you know, for me, I had already been running this other business. I had started a previous business. And then, you know, when I had that, that big um, vision during this dieta, where it was like, quite literally me, like hopping around through the fields, like helping my friends and just having fun. You know, when I saw that vision, I just sat with curiosity. I was like, oh, what would it be like if I just did that? And so then, you know, I got curious and I constantly just asked like, hmm, what would that feel like? And then what I did was just let go of the attachment, like don't attach to the money and don't attach to how it's going to work. Don't worry about if it's, you know, if it makes sense or not, you know, like, let's be honest. It's like, I don't know, did Airbnb make sense when the guy, you know, first thought of it? Probably not. But now look, multi-million dollar company, multi-billion, you know, nothing innovative makes sense. So let go of the human, you know, the, the ego mind that wants to know things and get into a space of not knowing, get into a space of curiosity and stepping into the unknown because as Dr. Joe Dispenza constantly is saying, like, we can only create in the unknown. Like, we can't create from the known or else we're already going to create something we already know. So it always takes stepping out of the self. And this is why it's important to be quiet and just get curious. So one of the best shifts I ever made when I started my first two businesses was to change the language around things. And so I said, I'm just going to call this a project. Like what would happen if you just made it a project without any expectations of money or success or fame or whatever it is you think you might have to know or if it's going to work, if it's going to fail or succeed. But what if you just did it for fun? Like just do it because your soul is, it's like eating your soul alive. And if you don't do it, you're never going to know. So what I do, and I tell my clients to do this a lot, like just shift the language because when people tie in like, business and money and like quitting my job and all these heavy things, then that's where they, their nervous system is like freaked out. And that's where they procrastinate and they get stuck. So the best thing you can do is just do what you need to do to change your mindset around it. Like, you know, call it a nonprofit or just do it, create a project, have fun with it and play. You know, if it's not fun, I say this constantly to my clients. I'm like, look, if your business isn't fun, like at least 90% of the time, or at least 85%, then you might as well go get a J-O-B that's not fun. You know, like the whole point of this is because we enjoy it and it's something that's from within us that's calling us to do it. You know, it's like, it's from our soul. So those are the first steps I always say is like, let go of the attachment, get curious, ask for constant guidance and quiet yourself down. And then that's where, you know, like, when you get to the point where like, oh, I feel that I want to, I don't know, be a psychedelic integration coach. Okay. That's where you then start making like baby steps. And again, I'm constantly saying to people, don't do extreme things. Like don't go on a diet and quit your job the next day. At least give it, give it a couple months to like integrate, you know, get the help, get the guidance. Um, you know, or set yourself up financially, like save up a bunch of money. And then by the time you know your purpose, hey, you can quit your job or whatever it is, or 
you know, for most of my clients, they come to me making the transition from like job or part-time job, or even a lot of people leaving businesses that aren't aligned and then adding a new layer or a new business and like making the shift. So, and then it's like the baby steps, you know, one little thing at a time. Um, but really before all that it has to come back to this root of like, what is coming through your heart? Like what would feel good to you? You know? And even when I get clients who come to me saying, I have three different business ideas. I'm like, start with the first one that like would get you excited to get out of bed in the morning. Like that's what it's all about. Like I, I haven't had that feeling because I lived in New York city. I did the corporate life. I used to probably like you, Jason, at some point, um, I had that morning thing, the alarm would go off and I dread going to work. You know, I haven't had that. I don't know the last time I had that 2011, I think was the last year I had that 2012. Um, you know, and occasionally I'll have a nightmare about that feeling of like, uh, you know, but now it's like, I get excited to go to work. Like I am almost too excited where I actually have to force myself not to work usually because, you know, time off, I need time off, but that's where it doesn't become like, you know, and I always say a real like heart centered business isn't work. It's just my life. It's like who I am, you know, it's just part of me. Like talking to you right now, I'm like, this doesn't feel like work. Talking with my assistant earlier, it's totally not work. You know, it's like, yeah, we have things to do, but it's like, it's all coming from a deeper mission. It's like my soul is just operating, you know, and that's when you're in that alignment, like things get really easy, you know, not to say they're always easy, but everything just flows a lot easier. Like other things start to come together and you're living a life of like, you know, pure joy. I mean, yes, of course there's always challenges and yes, I hate paying taxes, but for the most part it's joy. So that's what you really have to tune into. But one of the biggest issues I've seen when people come to me saying like, and they're usually a little frazzled over like, ah, I need to find my purpose. I'm like, you know, let go of even that attachment to finding your purpose. You know, it's like, just ask, you know, ask again, whatever you believe in for the guidance and maybe something else will come through, you know, like, I don't believe that every human has to have a purpose to save the planet. You know, maybe your purpose is just to be the greatest mom ever, or maybe your purpose is to paint the most amazing paintings that come from your heart and like, maybe not even sell any of them. Maybe that's okay. You know, there is no, again, there's no right or wrong or good or bad, or like, you know, it's like not everybody needs to be a multimillionaire affecting, you know, multi-thousands of people. But I do believe everybody has the right, like it's a birthright to enjoy doing our work and thrive off of it. I do believe it's available to every human on a deeper level, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it reminded me in, in this work there, there's often in, in ceremony, this idea between an intention and an expectation and um, kind of this idea of a, of a prayer, you know, really, what is my intention? And it, it reminded me of, of something where this was a number of years ago, and I, I was really deep in the work, I had done this kind of long initiatory experience, I was working with a lot of people. And and I was sitting in ceremony with with a number of people, people who I work with, and I had always had this idea of, of what does it mean to see, to diagnose? 
And the way many of them would speak of it, I had this image in my mind of what I thought they were seeing or what they were sensing. And so I went to ceremony one time with this very strong intention of, of teach me to diagnose, teach me to see. And it was this very strong intention and the ceremony went by and it ended and I came out and I thought, I didn't learn. I'm, I'm, I'm just the same. And a number of days went by, maybe it was even weeks. I, I can't remember now, but it slowly started coming to me, this idea that actually I knew how to diagnose. It had always been with me. It wasn't maybe the way they were diagnosing, but it was the way I was diagnosing. And it was something that I realized I always had. It was probably something that drew me to this work. It was just seeing someone, like feeling them, that the, their eyes, the, the looks, the, the, the words that they spoke, the cadence, the rhythm, that the body, just taking in that whole being. And it was something I was able to see. And then it was this fascinating process of beginning to talk with them and working with them. And they would diagnose someone and I would diagnose. And in general, we were experiencing the same thing. It was just each person has their own way of doing it. And, you know, but kind of this idea of expectation, when we think, you know, that beautiful quote you said from Joe Dispenza, if we're mm -hmm. operating from the mind that already thinks it knows, that already thinks it, it, it has an expectation, nothing can truly change. Like change only comes when we go into the unknown. And, mm -hmm. and in that space of the unknown, we're actually able to, 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 to flower and to, you know, to unfold in that way. Um, we are over two hours. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I had a sense it would fly by. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? I mean, one other thing that, that I think would be really interesting is, is the, the conference that you put together, because I think a lot of people watching this would be really interested in that. So yeah. is that something maybe you could you could talk yeah, about? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, I have done two of these online conferences slash summits. One was called Psychedelic Sacred Medicines and Purpose. And the one from 2020 was called Psychedelic Sacred Medicines, Purpose and Business. Um, and I got to, I got the honor of interviewing um, Rick Doblin twice and Paul Stamets this year. That was amazing. I cried during the interview. Ugh, the guy is just up to so much good. Um, you know, David Bronner, some really good people. And then, you know, just some leaders in this psychedelic space and then some other leaders and entrepreneurs and coaches and healers and um, visionary artists who are amazing. Amanda Sage and... Um, Alison Gray. And it was really to talk about this intersection of the medicine path and purpose and conscious entrepreneurship. Like how do we integrate this visionary medicine work into our lives when it comes to our work or our business or, you know, what we're here to do. And I, you know, I always say, look, like the majority of humans on this planet need to work, right? It's just, it's the way things are, at least here in the Western world. And it is a huge part of our life. You know, it's like, no matter what, or whether it's business or working for someone else, it becomes, it's, what do they say? It's like a third or something, or at least a quarter of your life is spent like doing work. So it's to me a very important topic to talk about, like, what is it that you're doing? Like, do you like what you're doing? If, if this is making you happy or not, and if it's not, how are you going to make the changes? And so we, most of the interviews are about, this kind of um, 
you know, like one, one-on-one personal level of like, okay, you and your purpose and your own work, but then also how does this then create a domino effect in our society and on the earth to step into a place of, you know, more conscious business or trans- transformational business where it is aligned with who you are and your mission and your, um, you know, what you want to see in the world. And of course, you know, being on this medicine psychedelic path, it wakes you up to see things differently. Meaning like, okay, you start to see how certain ways of being are not serving the planet or the earth, you know, on a larger scale. And so we talk about a lot of these are like, okay, yes, you and your own life, but like, how is this going to affect the future of how we do business and how we can figure out how to do business in harmony with each other and the earth on a larger scale, because it's as above, so below. It's like, yes, each and every person needs to do their own work a certain way. And then it's like, how are we going to see this scale out on, you know, all levels, meaning like in capitalism and in other businesses, you know, even, you know, like we're seeing things change. Like even when you go to the grocery store now, it's like, okay, things are shifting and we've seen them shift. And it's like, well, what's the future going to bring and how do the growth in psychedelics play a part in all this, <laughs> which was where I, I was really interested. I'm like, I wonder how this is going to affect things because there's no way it can't, you know, if psychedelics are becoming more and more legal and decriminalized, and then there's now going to be more and more psychedelic therapy. And then of course we all know the, you know, illegal work is already going on and it's growing exponentially and it's pretty much all over the world now. I mean, I don't know many places where it's not um, so far. And so I was curious to talk to these leaders about what they saw as, you know, how is this going to affect, you know, on a larger scale, like business and transformation and, you know, humans waking up to actually make changes. And now we're seeing, you know, so many leaders out there are putting their their energy and their resources towards you know causes that they believe in or systematic changes or having at least having discussions on okay what is it that we envision for the planet so that's what these conferences are all about so it is it's both for the person who maybe wants to become an entrepreneur or already is an entrepreneur and it's also for people who want to look at this on a larger scale of you know what is what is this growth in you know the medicine mean for all of us, you know, not just the healing of traumas and PTSDs and all that. Yes, that's also discussed, but, you know, I was curious about like the everyday person, you know, how does this affect the way we spend money, the way we buy, the way we do business, the way we treat our employees, the way we structure businesses, the way we maybe um, shift to more sustainable businesses, like regenerative systems, like I could go on and on permaculture. I mean, it's just, and it's so beautiful. And this, you know, the one thing I have to say is interviewing all these people always gave me more and more hope. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of hope for a future. Um, We also, you know, in the 2020 summit, we talk about a lot of like, okay, the post COVID world, like now that a lot of people have either lost their job or seen their job change, or even their lifestyle change. Now they're all working from home. It's like, what's, what's bound to happen? You know, maybe now, Maybe now that there is no job security anymore in any job. I mean, I literally, I don't know, maybe doctors, they're the only ones, even teachers don't have job security anymore. It's like, 
you know, now that that illusion, which was already always there, the illusion of security was never, you know, it was always an illusion. So now that it's become a lot more apparent to a lot of people, I think it's waking up a lot of people saying like, oh, I guess I do only live once and nothing is secure. So how do I really want to live my life? You know, and that's kind of the core of all of it is like, you know, it's like, how do you want to live in this incarnation that you have right now? It's like, it's, and COVID has shown us that it's limited, you know, it always was, but now it's just so much more in our face that you can't ignore what's happening. So um, yeah, they're free. They, right now, like the way it works is that there's a handful of videos that are free and then the rest are paid, but I'm also um, starting to release some of these, you know, on my YouTube I'm also launching a podcast later this spring, which will also be all around um, this intersection of, you know, the medicine path and entrepreneurship and also a spiritual path. And, you know, I'm curious to interview more and more of these leaders and you, Jason, of course, and to talk about, um, you know, what do we see is like, you know, the reason for all this. I've always been curious. I'm like, you know, I mean, I have my own beliefs, but it's like, well, you can't really ignore the fact that these people are turning to plant medicines and psychedelics more and more and more. Like, I wonder why. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how this all unfolds over, you know, in our future. <laughs> it's exciting times to be alive. I can say that. I mean, I'm even with all the challenges, I'm like so grateful. It's just such a blessing to be alive. It's such a potent time in history where we're like, actually not only witnessing change, but we're part of it and we're able to co-create it. You know, it's like we can all contribute to the world that we want to see for, you know, the future generations and, you know, for ourselves. So, you know, what a better time to be alive. It's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Say the least. <laughs> yes. Security is an illusion. That, that's a, that's a wonderful topic. Maybe, uh, maybe for part two, I think we could uh, get a lot into that. That's uh, especially in the world we're living in right now. That's a, that's a really important topic. Totally. Well, this has been, this has been great, Beth. Is there anything else you'd like to, to address? Anything no. we need to touch on? No, I can just, people can find me. I'm, you know, all over the internet. It's um, my website is Beth A. Weinstein. The, um, the summits are psychedelics and purpose, psychedelics, purpose, and business, um, psychedelicsandbusiness.com. I'm on Instagram under Beth A. Weinstein. I'm on Facebook. I'm Googleable. I'm out there. I'm friends with Jason. So yeah, and I, I, you know, I have a private Facebook group that's about psychedelics and purpose and business. Um, there's a lot of really amazing people in there. It's a great community. Definitely a lot of people getting into, you know, psychedelic therapy and psychedelic integration and hosting groups and, you know, or microdosing. I mean, I could go on and on. Musicians, artists, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, so, yeah, you know, if you're interested, you can just reach out. And, you know, I'm also pretty in, an open book and very um, down to earth and like, I love getting to know my, you know, like whoever's following me and whoever's watching. So if you have something to say, please like, just let me know. I'm open. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And if people are interested in, in learning more about you or working with you, they can do that via your website. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I actually, I have a free um, 
psychedelics, sacred medicines, purpose and business training. That's all about how to integrate these into your own calling or your own business. So I can give you that as well. And that's just kind of a fun free training I did. And cause I am getting a lot of, I mean, a lot of my clients are like this, but a lot of people are like, okay, how can I bring it into my coaching or my healing? Or like, I want to be an integration coach, but blah, blah, blah. I don't know how to start. This is essentially a training that's, you know, the practical business know-how, but then also a lot of this, you know, the energetics of how do you go do it? You know, how do you start and get past your own limiting beliefs and your fears to start sharing your medicine because you have the medicine and this is what it's all about. It's time, you know, if not now, when? So I'll give you that too. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Beth. This was, uh, this was super fascinating and enlightening. And I think people are going to get a lot out of it. I think we, we address some really important topics and uh, I really appreciate your time. And I think it's amazing what you're doing and the, that, that summit you're doing. I, I think those, you know, those three people you mentioned, Rick Doblin, Paul Stamets, uh, uh, Bronner. I mean, they, yeah. they are, I think they're, they're embodiments of what you're talking about, which is really doing amazing work, sharing, you know, enlightening people, doing really good work and spreading that out into the world. So I, I, I really congratulate you on that. And, and I think it's amazing what you're doing. And uh, I think we can probably do a part two sometime. And, and no, go. definitely. We'll definitely do a follow up and I'll have to have you on mine as soon as I get it. It's coming together. <laughs> yeah. Well, great, Beth. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jason. It was great to be here. All right, everybody, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, thank you to Beth for coming on. I, I think we covered a lot of really interesting topics, and I hope you all enjoyed that. As always, if you're able to help to support this podcast, that's a really big help. Patreon is a really good option. Uh, by subscribing and, and donating, you get different things back. So it's a really nice way of giving and also receiving something, things like early access to all the shows, uh, chances to ask uh, questions and have them answered, bonus material, extended footage, things like that. So that's a really big help to all of the Patreon subscribers. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. Um, there's also the ability to donate directly via PayPal. There's a link in the show notes of that as well. And then if you're not able to do that, um, simply going on the YouTube page, the Universe Within podcast homepage, subscribing to the show, um, turning on the notification bell, liking the videos, that's a really big help in with the algorithms and getting the show out to a bigger audience and then with the audio version going on apple Podcasts, subscribing to the show and leaving a starred rating and a review that's a really big help to all the people who have done that thank you very much to all the people who've uh, left encouraging feedback i, I really appreciate that and i i hope you all uh, enjoy these shows um the next guests coming up um, again, I'm still not sure the order. Um, I'm going into a dieta soon, so we'll, we'll see who we can squeeze in there. But as always, there should be some really good guests coming up. So thank you all for the support. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you in the next episode.
Tu 